Elsie Owen Books is a podcast brought to you by author and narrator Elsie Owen. This is your stop for five fantasy short stories in audio format. Please subscribe to our free newsletter at lcowenbooks.com for behind the scenes and exclusive content. Link is in the description. L.C. Owen Books, where thoughts become worlds. The Specimen by M.R. Callahan. Copyright 2019. The light was fading quickly. Mercy guessed that it was just after five o'clock and she had to be home by six or face parental wrath. She could tell by looking at the exposed rocks of the jetty that the tide was very low and would begin rising again shortly. After chaining up her bike, she scrambled out into the jumble of slick stones. Small green crabs skittered about as she worked her way along the tide pools that dotted the rock rubble. She had searched those near the shore dozens of times or more so she passed over them quickly. Her goal today was farther along the jetty, a quarter mile out to sea, where the pools were submerged most of the time. She was hoping to find a predator like a dog whelk or a sea star for her aquarium. Mercy picked her way along carefully, peering into the dark recesses between the slippery stones. About 30 minutes of careful scrabbling, she had only seen one specimen of interest, an Asian shore crab. She briefly considered trying to catch it, but snails and sea stars were much easier to keep in her small tank. Crabs, she had learned, had a tendency to be escape artists. There were a few more spots she wanted to check on the way back toward the beach, but it would have to be quick. She pulled a small flashlight from her backpack and examined two deep holes on the point of the jetty, finding nothing but Irish moss and other algae. When she turned her head back toward the shore, She saw the Asian crab again. It was dancing around the edge of a shallow depression in the rocks, lunging in and retreating as if fencing was something just below the surface. She squatted down to watch the battle. The foe, whatever it was, remained submerged, so the little crab stood by the water's edge, both claws raised before him like a boxer. After a few seconds of posing, the crab darted into the water. A brief flurry of splashing ensued. Then the crab scrambled out of the water and back up the jetty as quickly as his legs would carry him. Mercy waited a few seconds, expecting a larger crab to climb onto the rock, but nothing emerged. She stepped up to the edge of the depression and saw only a pale blur resting against the rocky bottom of the pool. Clicking on her flashlight, she squatted again, peering into the water. There, she saw what initially seemed to be a tentacle of some sort. No bigger than her pinky, in fact. On first glance, it almost looked like a severed finger. It was a pale, translucent white with pinkish-beige undertones and faint yellow veins that could be seen just below the surface. One end tapered to a blunt tip, while the other wider end was ragged, as if it had been bitten or torn off. It squirmed about, twitching like the broken-off tail of a lizard, but it seemed to have more intention than that. She thought that the tip of it looked a bit like an octopus tentacle, with faint pink spots that suggested suckers. It seemed to be feeling about, as if looking for something. Mercy knew that she had never seen anything like it. Not in Mr. Bishop's biology lab at school. Not in any book. 
not even in the Natural History Museum in the city. This was definitely a more interesting specimen than a predatory snail or starfish. Okay, little guy, you're coming home with me, Mercy muttered to the writhing appendage. She pulled her specimen jar and empty yogurt cup from her backpack and got on her knees. With a cup in one hand and the lid in the other, she leaned closer to the water, ready to scoop up her prize. Just as her hands touched the water, she was hit with an unexpected wave of revulsion. Something about the thing's blind yet purposeful groping, the way it squirmed inch by inch toward the water's surface made her shudder. She felt a tickling sensation on her legs, like you get when you watch videos of ant colonies. You know there are no ants on you, but it feels like there might be dozens. She shook her head. Come on, just get in the cup. Taking a deep breath, she reached into the water, placing the cup just in front of the questioning tip of, she decided she would call it the specimen until she knew more, and the lid behind it, she waited. The specimen delicately touched the plastic lip of the cup, pulled back, then touched it again, perhaps smelling, tasting, the strawberry banana remnants of the original contents. The specimen began to squirm into the cup. Mercy held her breath as it wiggled forward. Once the bulk of it was inside, she scooped the cup upward and snapped the lid on quickly. Snatching up her backpack, she moved as quickly as she could back toward the beach. She would have to ride pretty fast to get home on time. Luckily, spring hadn't quite drawn the tourists back to Kingsport yet, so there was little traffic to deal with. As she kicked off her wet sneakers by the back door, she noted with satisfaction that the clock in the kitchen read 5.57. She bounded up the stairs two at a time and slipped into her bedroom, quickly shutting the door behind her. Her aquarium, a mirror-backed 30-gallon tank that had been her big present two Christmases ago, sat on a wrought iron stand next to her desk. After opening the hinged glass lid and turning on the lights, she ducked the specimen out of her backpack. Mercy thought she felt a bit of movement through the plastic walls of the yogurt cup, and a remnant of her earlier disgust prickled over her neck and shoulder blaze. Shaking it off, she told herself it was just her ponytail. Sorry, no time to acclimate you properly, dude. I hope you don't get thermal shock. With that, she popped the lid off the cup and dumped the specimen into the water. The half-dozen fish in the tank all scattered to their preferred hiding spots as their new guests twisted and writhed toward the bottom of the tank. The iridescent yellow veins seemed to glow even more brightly under the fluorescent lights, and its pale flesh stood out starkly against the natural tan color of the sandy floor. The wider end was even more ragged and damaged than she had realized when she'd collected it, and it left a faint trail of milky-white ooze in the water. Mercy, come set the table. Coming, Mom. As Mercy shut the lid to the tank, the specimen was already wiggling into a crevice between two rocks. Don't get too comfortable. You're going to Mr. Bishop's tank on Monday, if you live that long. Mercy wanted to show the specimen her biology teacher for several reasons. She admired Mr. Bishop, because he was a marine biologist, which is what she had wanted to be since elementary school. 
When she googled his name at the beginning of the semester, she found a Wikipedia entry on him that indicated he'd been considered a very promising researcher. The article didn't give any clues about how he ended up teaching biology at her decidedly undistinguished high school, but it did list an impressive number of scholarly publications authored or co-authored by him. Though she was only a freshman, Mercy had a very clear plan for her studies, beginning with an accelerated high school program that should get her to graduation a year early. The Boston University Marine Science Program was number one on her wish list for college, and it was Bishop's alma mater's, so Mercy hoped he could help her get accepted to the program. The specimen also honestly intrigued her, and she figured that he would be able to identify it and probably knew how to keep it alive. After dinner and a few hours of TV, Mercy returned to her room and checked the tank. Although she couldn't find the specimen, it didn't worry her too much. There were a lot of hiding places in the tank. The glass was also in need of cleaning, so if she had to go hunting for the specimen later, she figured she would just tidy up as she did it. She gave the fish a little treat, a block of freeze-dried shrimp, and turned off the lights. She woke to the sound of muffled voices. Her mother and little brother were arguing in the kitchen about burned dockyards? Frog hearts? Oh, Pop-Tarts. Another day of exemplary nutrition in the Rye household. Mercy chuckled and kicked the covers and sat up. And suddenly, she remembered this specimen. Turning to look at the tank, she immediately saw the finger-sized lump of pale flesh resting in the bottom of the near-rock formation that concealed the filter intake. Even from across the room, she could make out the silky yellow veins. It was stretched out straight, with the severed end butted against the rocks and the tip pointed toward the front glass like an accusation. She slid out of bed and walked over to turn on the tank lights. As the fluorescent bulbs flickered to life, her fish dashed about madly, but the specimen didn't respond. It appeared dead, but when she looked closely, she could see the veins pulsing very slightly. The movement was so slight that she wondered if it was just caused by the water being pulled to the intake. She grabbed a net and opened the lid to the tank. The fish scattered to their hidey holes as the green mesh entered their world, but still the specimen seemed inert. Even when Mercy gently poked the tip of it with the corner of her net, it didn't react. Damn. Well, time for you to go in the freezer. She reached into the bucket under the tank and retrieved the yogurt cup. With care, she scooped the net under the specimen. Try not to pick up too much sand at the same time. Lifting the net out of the water, she attempted to tip the specimen into the cup, but naturally it stuck to the nylon netting. After shaking and jiggling the net for a few seconds, she decided to just use her hand to scoop it into the yogurt cup. She set the cup down and reached into the net. The cold flesh of the specimen was surprisingly firm and devoid of the slime coat she had expected. She lifted it out of the net, but before she dropped it into the cup, she turned it over so she could see the severed end. A single pale yellow eye stared back at her, seemingly growing from the damaged end of the specimen. The rectangular black pupil suddenly dilated and a translucent membrane slid across the lens. Mercy shrieked as the specimen wiggled from her hands. 
She awoke with a start. There was a faint burning smell, and she heard her mother scolding her little brother in the kitchen. Her heart raced as her mother yelled, No! No! You don't stick the fork in the toaster unless it's unplugged! Still in bed in her dark room, she realized the specimen had not, in fact, grown an eyeball overnight. At least she hoped it hadn't. Shuddering involuntarily, she wondered, What makes this thing so gross? She had never been squeamish about marine life before. When her class had visited the aquarium in Boston, she had been the only girl in the class who was willing to touch the hagfish, which is basically the slimiest thing alive. So why did this little bit of tentacle squick her so much? Mercy kicked off the covers and went over to the tank. Immediately, she noted that some of the decorations had been uprooted and knocked over during the night. She flipped on the lights and gasped to the extent of the damage. The rocks had been arranged in the center of the tank had been moved, and all the plants, both real and plastic, were uprooted and floating at the surface. She spotted her two largest fish, a pair of angels named Gabriel and Michael, even though she suspected that Gabe was a girl. Hiding amongst this wreckage on the floor of the tank, the specimen was coiled tightly around another fish, a bicolor blenny. It seemed larger than it had been, and the yellow veins throbbed vividly as the dark purple blenny struggled to escape. There were no signs of the three killifish she had just added to the tank just last week, but she had hoped they were hiding somewhere in the rocks. Mercy wasn't quite sure what to do. Her gut reaction was to kill the damn thing and be done with it. She was surprised at how vehement her feelings were toward it. This was not the first time she had kept a predator, but she never had anything this destructive before. She felt slightly queasy as she watched it grapple with the Blenny, who was clearly done for. She decided the only way to save her angelfish was to quarantine the specimen, as she should have done from the beginning. She bolted downstairs three steps at a time and nearly collided with her mother as she entered the kitchen. Sorry, Mom, aquarium emergency. Her mom gave an exacerbated sigh and said, Is there water everywhere again? No, no, I just need a jar. Mercy opened one of the lower cupboards and began rummaging through the family's collection of empty peanut butter, mayonnaise, and pickle jars. She located one of the few that still had its lid, a mayo jar, only tattered remnants of its label. As she closed the cupboard, her mother asked, So what's the emergency? I just need to quarantine a specimen. I'm taking it to school tomorrow to show to my bio teacher. Then she added, for extra credit. Mercy had no need of extra credit in biology. She had the highest grade in the class and a nearly perfect average, but she knew that a reference to improving her grades would be received favorably and stop any further questions. All right, just don't make a mess, okay? Mercy nodded and dashed back to her room. The blenny was gone. There was no carcass, no bits on the bottom. It was just gone. The specimen was resting in the sand near the center of the tank. Its tip lazily flipping about like the tail of a cat dozing in the sun. Mercy was puzzled. She hadn't given it very thorough examination. In fact, the idea of handling it enough to really check it out was repellent to her but she hadn't noticed any sort of mouth or other orifice for eating. Even if it had a mouth, 
There was no bulge in it anywhere to indicate that it had just taken a big meal. How could it have consumed a three-inch fish without looking distended like a snake after feeding? Perhaps it absorbed its prey somehow, but she was only downstairs for a couple of minutes and the blennies seemed to be completely absent. Was it stashing the body somewhere for later consumption? As she struggled to make sense of the specimen's feeding mechanism, she unscrewed the lid of the mayo jar. She felt stupid for just dropping it into the tank and not quarantining it in the first place. Holding a net at the ready, she opened the lid of the tank. The movement spooked the angelfish, and they darted wildly to and fro. The specimen reached upward, stretching in a most unnatural way to more than twice its original length. The tip swiveled around, seemingly searching for the fish. Mercy was shocked by the reach of the specimen. Mastering a wave of disgust that made her stomach tighten, she plunged the net into the tank. The specimen didn't flinch, but the presence of the next exacerbated the nervousness of the angels. As she reached down to scoop under it, one of the angels passed too close to the questing tip of the thing. In a flash, it was grappled and pulled to the bottom of the tank. Shit! No! Gabe! Oh, God damn it! Mercy poked futilely at the two creatures with the net, but it was clear there was little she could do to make the specimen release its prize. The struggle was frantic but brief. In less than 15 seconds, Gabriel was motionless, wrapped firmly in the coils of the specimen. The yellow veins pulsed as the coils grew tighter, crushing the fish inward. She dropped the net and grabbed her cell phone from the bedside table. It took her just a few seconds to pull up the camera and start shooting video, but the angelfish was already reduced in size by half. There was a strange luminescence to the writing mass, almost as if a bright yellow light was contained within its coils. Glowing through the pale flesh, Mercy hoped she was getting it all, but she doubted that her cheap phone camera was going to do it justice. She had seen bioluminescence before, but this is different somehow. Perhaps the tank's fluorescent bulbs were exaggerating the colors somewhat, but it had a pulsating, strobe-like quality about it that was slightly disorienting, even a bit nauseating when she really focused on it. The angelfish was all but gone in under a minute. Only bits of the tail and the tip of one long fin were still visible. Mercy was about to stop recording when there was one last bright flash from within the coils. The protruding bits of tail and fin dropped to the sand as if they had been clipped off and the specimen began to uncoil itself. There was no sign of the angelfish, save for a shimmering cloud of shed scales in the water. Mercy tossed the phone on her bed and chewed her lip as she pondered how to get the specimen into the mayo jar. Using the net had proved disastrous and her hands became sweaty and shaky anytime she came close to touching it. It seemed to her the best way to save the last angelfish was to offer the specimen an easy meal inside the jar, then screw the top on while it was distracted. After slipping back downstairs to the kitchen, much more softly this time, she was relieved to find the rest of the family were all in the living room watching television. Quietly padding into the pantry, she scanned the canned goods. Her theory was that the specimen was sensing its prey by motion, but also smell. So she was hoping for something stinky like sardines or tuna. After a few moments of hunting, 
a can of Dandy Brand Seafood Buffet cat food was the best option. Back upstairs with her smelly bait, she set the trap. Once the lid was peeled back, the cat food did not disappoint. It had a pungent, fishy aroma. It reminded her of the chum that the charter captains used to attract game fish. She cringed a bit at the thought of how hard it was going to be to clean her tank after putting all of this oily gunk in it, but no other solution had come to her. After dropping the can into the mayo jar, she quietly opened the tank. The remaining angelfish was hiding behind a clump of floating vegetation. She didn't want to spook him out into the open. Slowly, she slipped the open jar into the water and let it fill up. Once it was full, she gently placed it upright on the bottom of the tank and waited. The oily residue from the cat food was visibly being pushed around the tank by the filtration system. As she had hoped, the specimen took note of it almost immediately. The tip reached up into the faint, slimy cloud and felt about, as if testing it. It took a few minutes, but it soon discovered the jar had begun to slither up the side of it. Mercy stood by the tank, ready to reach in and cap the jar. While she waited, she saw a brief flash from her dream, a thin membrane sliding across a yellow eye with a rectangular black pupil. Showing her find to Mr. Bishop was still very appealing, but she was mostly just excited to get it out of her tank and out of her house. The last inch of the specimen was oozing into the jar as Mercy slid the lid into the water. She held her breath until the lid was on the jar, and she spun it about half-turn. Feeling better already, she exhaled and finished screwing the lid. The specimen was busily digging about in the can of cat food, and appeared oblivious to its new situation. Shifting the jar around, she took a good look at the severed end. There was no eye growing there, and she immediately felt silly for checking. Mercy stowed the mayo jar in a five-gallon bucket under the tank and set about trying to restore the decorations. MR and RM Callahan write interrelated fantasy series inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Their books and stories can be found at flockhall.com. Join the flock to enjoy free exclusive content, giveaways, death threats, and... Wait, that can't be right. Huh? Nope, that's what it says. <sighs> Alright, um, giveaways, death threats, and fun reader contests. Link is in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our channel. For more information on sci-fi fantasy authors, short stories, and novels, please visit our website, lconbooks.com. LC Owen Books, where thoughts become worlds.